You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, church. How are you guys? It is good to be with you, East Point, here in Talbot, Talbot, Toolbit, whatever, whatever county you guys want to refer to yourself as. Stephanie goofs on me, you know, but I'm a local now, guys. I'm not a come over anymore, right? I went to the Waterfowl Festival this weekend. Thank you. Thank you. I endured the duck calls and the dog barks and the whistles and, man, went to a raptor exhibit. No dinosaurs. Spoiler alert. Raptors are birds of prey. I'm not from here. I'm not from here. But uh, it's good to be with you guys, man. Wherever, whatever county we are in, God is doing something amazing in this community. And he's doing something amazing through this church, through this people that he has saved. Because that's what he does. He comes to us where we are. He communicates his love and his grace and his mercy. He saves us from our sins. And then he brings us into a family. And that's what we do every week. We gather as the family of God. And so it's good to be with my brothers and sisters. If you're a guest here with us and you're like, dude, I'm not a part of any family. I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm just learning what this is all about. You're in a good spot, man. We've, we've all been there, and, uh, and you're welcome here. And so as we dive in this morning, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. If you're using one of our blue and white Bibles from the back, we're on page 469. And so as you turn there, tell me this. How many of you enjoy going to the beach? Where my beach dweller is at. Wow, okay. Like, who's going to raise your hand? Like, not me. I hate the beach. Anybody hate the beach? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to have some, some therapy after this. Man, everybody loves the beach. My children love the, yeah, cue the awes, right? And so this is my youngest, and I, I still haven't figured out how to train him to not eat the sand. But he loves the beach. He loves the beach because we have those little, like, um, those sand sculptings, you know, but they're like in the shape of an ice cream cone. And so it makes sense. You make an ice cream cone on the floor and then you just like face first, try to eat the sand. So he will have sand in his diaper, sand in his mouth. It's crazy. My older two, they have moved on. They have graduated from the eating sand game and they play a game of don't let the water touch you. All right, you guys know how to play that game? So what we do is the water is going like this. Shh, shh. And we get down as close as we can to the water. And then when it starts to rise up, run, 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 run. And the water just whoosh, you know. Don't let the water touch you. So we get as close as we can with the tide and the waves. And then we run away. Well, you see, if you've ever been to the beach, you know that the tide and the waves are very unpredictable, right? You know what I mean? And so just when you think you have a beat on it, you're like, I get the pattern. Whoosh, 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 out of nowhere, just boom, it comes up on you. And my kids will be like up to their belly buttons in water, you know, and they're just like, I didn't see it coming. Like every time, they never see it coming. And so that's the beach. And so that is a perfect picture of our vacation that's a perfect picture of fun at the beach. That's also a perfect picture of how our grief treats us. Don't let the water touch you. Don't let the grief touch you. Just when you think you're good, right? You have a tragedy. There's some painful circumstances. There, there's something in your life that you're like, whoosh, man, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. And then it's getting better, and it's getting better. And just when you think you have a beat on it, just when you think you're over it, whoosh, 
and the tide comes. Good days are followed by bad days. Okay days are followed by painful days. And our grief, our pain is like, are like the tides and the waves at a beach that they come in and they come out. They rise, they fall, you're good. And then all of a sudden without any warning, whoosh. That's what grief is like. And here's what makes it worse, right? People, or maybe whether they say it or they think it, they look at you in your grief and there comes a point where they start to wonder, are you over it? Are you over it yet? You see, in the beginning, nobody says that. In the beginning, everybody gets it. Everybody's empathetic. Oh, I know, I get it. That's tough. But after a while, they go, hey, it's been a few weeks. You know, it's been several months already. Hey, friend, I love you, but it's been a few years. Are you over it? Are you past this? Have you moved on? I get it, but I mean, you should probably be over it by now. And hurts because you go, I thought I was. <laughs> I thought I was just starting to come into grips with it. And out of nowhere yesterday, I heard that song on the radio. Out of nowhere yesterday, I had a dream. Out of nowhere yesterday, I saw a picture. And all of a sudden, whoosh, like the waves. These are the tides of grief. You see, friends, we're in a series right now at East Point called the Psalm, or the, the series. We're in the Psalms, and I told you last week that the Psalms are like a playlist. The Psalms are like the soundtrack of God's people, and there are 150 Psalms broken up into five different albums, and there is a song for every stage, every experience, whatever circumstance you're experiencing in life. There's a song in God's songbook. And so the, for the next couple of weeks, we're in a specific song that is what's called a lament song. It's not a party song. You're not dancing to it. You're not bumping this on the radio. This is a song that the people of God would listen to. They'd put this track on when they were grieving. They'd listen to these lyrics when they were in pain, when they wanted a song that could express where they were at and what they were feeling. And so we call this song, written by the sons of Korah, Cast Down cast down. There's a deep longing in the psalmist. He's writing this. He's penning this song in the middle of grief. And last week, he ended the song. Last week, he ended the grief with this beautiful moment of perspective. He said to himself, the darkness will not last forever. Remembering yesterday's salvation gives us tomorrow's hope. And he gets it. And he encourages his soul. And so is he over it? Is he past the grief? Well, today we're going to go into verse 2. And we see that he still has some things to get off of his chest. And as you read this, you may be tempted to wonder, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Didn't he encourage his soul last week? What was the whole soul thing about? Like, didn't he already get past the grief? Isn't he over it? But you're going to realize today that he is experiencing the tides of grief. And we're going to learn today that as he experiences the tides of grief. Friend, we're going to learn that as you experience the tides of grief, as you begin to wonder, as others may ask you, are you over it? The psalmist is going to teach us that we don't need to get over it, but on it. We don't need to get over it. Friends, we need to get on it. And this is what the psalmist is going to show us as we begin. Here we go, starting in verse 6. This is God's word for our church this morning. 
My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. We're going to pause there because here we see that when our souls are cast down, we ought to look up. When your soul is cast down, you ought to look up. Listen to his pain here. Look what he says. He says, my soul is cast down. I, I thought you were cast down last week. Like, what happened to the whole, like, hey, why are you cast down? Yes, I heard that question, and I'm still cast down. I'm on the floor. I am brought low. The grief, the depression from last week has not gone away, friends. I am still here. And so we saw last week, he described that pain. Remember, he described that feeling with some powerful images. A panting deer. Anybody get the deer tattoo this past week? You were like, that just resonated with you so deeply. He got the deer. He said his, his, uh, his tears were like food day and night. And so this creative, this artist, he continues with more images. And we're not surprised. Look what he says. He says, it's like I'm experiencing a waterfall. The waves of sorrow, the pain that I'm experiencing, it's as if I'm sitting under a waterfall and the waves are just crashing and they are breaking over me. Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? Right? Anybody, any waterfall, any waterfall. You're like, I built one in my backyard. That works. Okay. Imagine a massive waterfall and you are sitting at the base of it. Do you know how heavy water is? Water is heavy and it's just pounding. And then it has the 9.8 meters per second squared gravitational pull that's accelerating the thing. We're getting into it, friends, right? He is sitting under a waterfall. He's not being splashed by pain. He's being submerged. He is completely enveloped and overwhelmed beneath the waves. And, and you, if you've ever been to a waterfall, you know how loud it is, right? Just, it's surprising, it's shocking how loud water can be. And he says the only thing that is louder than the deafening roar of the waterfall is the deep roar within my own soul, a roar of pain. Just when I think my head is above the waters, just when I think I'm beyond the pain, it's like, and then just to be pulled back under again by the wave of pain and grief. Has anybody ever been under the waterfall? If you have, you know, man, it's not a splashing. It's a submerging. So he's in pain. He's in pain. So you listen to his pain, but then number two, we can listen to his prayer. Look at his response. Under the waterfall, feeling the pain. And so he says, therefore... Therefore, in light of my pain, in light of this circumstance, in light of my condition, here's what I'm going to do. Therefore, I remember you. I haven't forgotten you. Even as I'm fleeing all over the land, even as I'm on the run for my life, from Jordan, the land beyond the Jordan, to Hermon, to Mizar, I'm remembering you. I'm looking to you. Even in my pain, I'm going to cry out and address my prayer to you. And it's true, that's what he's doing. He has not forgotten. Notice that there's a shift here. Last week, he was talking to his soul. 
This week, he's addressing this verse to God. He is writing to God. He is being real and being raw toward God, not just about him. He's not just journaling, dear diary, let me tell you about God. He's not just looking in the mirror saying, dear soul, let me talk to you about God. He is talking to God himself. He says, you. Later in that verse, he says, a prayer to the God of my life. I'm addressing this to you. Deep calls to deep. Something deep inside of me. There's a cry for something deep from the deepest part of me. I need you. You see, friends, when our souls are cast down, we ought to look up. Sometimes we allow our pain to keep us from God, right? God is here, and he's happy, and he's holy, and everything good is about God, and I don't feel any of that, so I'm going to seclude myself over here, and when I get right, then I can earn my, pres- my, my way back into the presence of God. I don't feel like I'm good enough right now. I don't feel like I have it together, so I'm not going to be with God's family. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to go to prayer. I'm not going to be with the Lord because I need to get my act together. I need to clean up, reapply the, the makeup, and you know whatever it is, and then I'll come back and be ready for church. And I'll come back and I'll be ready for the presence of God. Thank you, Lord Most High. And there's none of this going on. Friends, you can talk to God in your pain right where you are. There's a powerful book by Tim Keller. It's called Prayer. If you ever wanted to read a really good book on prayer, Tim Keller's book, Prayer. And he says, really, the only difference between a person who keeps a diary and a person who keeps a a prayer journal is that one is addressed, dear diary, and the other one is addressed, dear God. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in his direction toward him. You can remember that he's there and tell him. And that's what our psalmist is doing. He is in pain, and he's acknowledging that pain before God. And as he does this, I want you to notice something here. I want you to notice, look in your Bibles, how does he describe the waterfall? Pretty, powerful, inspiring. No, no, no. What is the word right before waterfall? He describes the waterfall as your waterfall, your breakers, your waves. Remember what this guy is going through. There's a coup that is happening in Jerusalem, but he doesn't say, God, I'm feeling Absalom's breakers. He's not pointing to the insurrectionists who are currently occupying the capital. He is looking at his painful situation, and he locates the source. He says, I'm feeling the waterfall, but Lord, I recognize that this is your waterfall. These are your waves that are crashing over me. These are your breakers. Did God do this to him? Is this happening according to God's will? Wait, I I thought the other people in their free will and in their evil hearts, I thought it was them who, who, who are directing these waves at me. Why does he say they are your waterfalls? Is he blaming God? Or is this good theology? Has there ever been more truth packed into one little word? Your He knows that God is sovereign. He knows that God is in control, that God is directing the end of all things toward his good purposes. He also knows that God is all-powerful. And if God is all-powerful, then he could have stopped this situation from happening. And so here's where we got to be real. If God is sovereign, 
If God is all-powerful and God could have stopped it, then why didn't he? If he's all-powerful, he could have intervened. He could have had Absalom drop dead on the warpath to Jerusalem. And he didn't. And so if God is sovereign, if we believe that God is all-powerful, then at a minimum, what we are acknowledging, at, at a minimum, we have to admit, God, you allowed this. God, you could have intervened and you didn't. Can we just pause there for a second? Can we pause and acknowledge that that's pretty hard? Can we think about our own pain and acknowledge the dozens of questions that flood our mind? God, don't you love me? Don't you see my pain? What are you doing? Why would you let this happen? If it's in your power to stop this, then why didn't you? You could have stopped his coup, and you didn't. You could have stopped the sickness. You could have stopped that tragedy. You could have stopped this pain, but you didn't. And so the psalmist is right, friends. These are his breakers. These are his waves. These are his waterfalls. You see, what's, what's important here that we're doing, we are not avoiding the hard questions. Those questions are okay. That's why we go verse by verse, friends. That's why we go line by line, because we don't want to just avoid the hard things and just have a rainbow-fluffed faith, right? Ah, there's hard things in there, but just believe, just believe, just believe. And I don't know about you, but that's not a good enough faith for me. Because when the pressures and the waterfalls of life come, if my faith is not solid in something, that's not good enough. That's not faith. That's make-believe. And so why does he call them your waterfalls? How do you handle that? Tell me, brothers and sisters, you, you believe in God. You're a Christian. You believe that your God is all-powerful. Then why didn't he stop it? Why did he let that happen? Why didn't he intervene? Does he love you? Does he not? Maybe he's not all-powerful. Maybe your God is too far. Maybe your God was sleeping when it happened. Maybe he was taking a nap. Why? How do we respond when we don't understand God or have God's vantage point? And friends, you really only have two answers. You will either try and make up answers. You will try to pretend like you know it all. You'll pray, no, no, well, you see really what happened here. This is here. This is here. And so instead of making up answers, we're going to do what the psalmist does in verse 8. We're going to recognize, yes, these are his breakers, but then here's what he does in verse 8. He remembers. He remembers who it is that we're dealing with here. And when all of those questions are coming up, wait, your waves, your breakers, he remembers. Look what he says. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Yes, this is hard truth. God could have stopped that tragedy. God could have stopped your painful situation. God could have stopped all of these terrible things that are happening in my life. That is a hard truth. But there's a complementary truth here. There is another truth that goes along with this. Yes, these are his breakers. Yes, these are his waves. But that is not all I have from him. 
Yes, he maybe allowed it, but that's not all he gives me. It says all day long, he directs, he commands like a spotlight, his steadfast love to me. All night long, he's, his comforting song is with me. It's like I, I mentioned last week, Everett is my four-year-old, but um, every night he goes, Daddy, scratch my back and sing me a song, right? And he falls asleep. Why does he want me to sing a song? to? It's a comforting reminder, I'm with you. And so I'm bringing home a baby bumblebee. Won't my mommy be so proud of me? Every night, right? That's what it's like. God, yes, those truths are hard, but all day long, He's directing his love at me. And all night long, his comforting song is with me. He's reminding me, I'm with you and I'm for you. And how does he know this to be true? Oh, that sounds nice, but come on, you just said they were his waterfalls. How do you know he's good? How can you possibly say that he directs his love at you when all you've seen are the hard things in life? How can you sing, you are good, good, oh, when he's allowing these? How can you possibly say that, psalmist? Are you delusional? Is this make-believe faith? No. He knows it to be true because look what he calls God. He says, the Lord. Anytime you see in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D, that is actually translating the proper name of God. That is Yahweh. Okay? He calls him Yahweh. I told you there was five albums in the Psalms, right? In the first album, all of the artists, all of the singer-songwriters, they used Yahweh all day long. That's how they referred to God, as Yahweh. In the second album, we actually only find this six times. They always refer to God as Elohim in the second album, except for a few times, a handful of times, and this is one of them. And so when we see this rare occurrence, we go, let's tune in here. Why is he calling him Yahweh now? Why is he breaking form and using a different title for God? I love that there are different titles for God. I love that there are different ways to refer to him because that's how we do things, right? I'm the king of nicknames. And so if I see uh, one of my dudes in the lobby go, big dog, right? I'm not referring to him as a furry animal. Some of you have been offended by your pastor. You're like, he keeps calling me big dog. When I'm saying big dog, I'm using that nickname to highlight an aspect. I'm like, you are a dominant human being, big dog. Sometimes we, you use your nickname. You call your daughter princess, right? Is she a monarch? You're like, in my house she is, right? That's a tyrant. Is she a monarch? No, you call her princess because you're trying to highlight an aspect of her preciousness and her sweet tenderness. If I'm out at the, f- the field and I see an athlete, I go, you're a beast. I'm not dissing him. I'm saying, dude, your athletic prowess is off the charts, but it's just easier to call him a beast. You call your wife your sweetheart to, to, to call to mind, to highlight the tender nature of your relationship. You call your friend bro to go, you're my brother. There's a camaraderie. So we use different nicknames to highlight different aspects of the relationship. And in the Bible, it's no different. They would use different names for God to hearken back, to recall different aspects of who he is. So Jehovah Jireh, he's the provider, right? Adonai, my Lord, all these things. And here he calls him Yahweh. Not as a nickname, but he's using that title because when he says Yahweh, he is calling to mind. He is remembering the name by which God revealed himself when he entered into covenant relationship with the people of Israel. 
When God came and saved him out of Egypt and he said, I will be your God and you will be my people and this is an unbreakable promise and you will know me as Yahweh. In this moment of the waterfall, in this moment of grief and pain, he's remembering he is still Yahweh. Yes, these are his waves. Yes, these are his breakers. Yes, I don't have the vantage point of heaven to understand why he's allowing me to do this. But this I do know, I can trust him. This is the fact that he's reliant on. This is the fact that comforts him. I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't know why he's allowing this, but he is Yahweh. He is the loving and faithful God who has saved us, and I know I can trust him. Yes, these are his waves, but that's not all I have from him. And so, friends, I just tell you this morning, I'm not standing up here presuming to know, that, or presuming to have God's vantage point on your pain. There are plenty of people who would love to sit with you and go, well, maybe it's this, or maybe you did this, or it's like Job's friends, you know what I mean? Well, maybe this is what's happening. Maybe you just really messed up, or maybe you were just a horrible husband, or maybe you're just full of sin, or maybe you're not good enough, or maybe if you tried harder. I don't presume to tell you what God is up to in your life. I don't pretend like I have his vantage point, but I do know that his love never fails. I do know that he is sovereign and that even in your most painful experiences, even in your most horrible, tragic circumstances, I do know that you can trust him and that he will work good out of that situation. And if I ever doubt that, if I ever struggle to look at your pain, if I ever struggle to look at the situations and go, how could God possibly work something good from that? There's no way anything good can come from that. You know what I do? I look back at the cross and I remember that even as the Son of Man was receiving the most brutal waves, the most brutal breakers, as he was sitting upon the most tragic waterfall that humanity could experience, that even in that waterfall, God was at work to bring something beautiful beyond our imagination, the salvation of humanity. You see, friends, the cross becomes our lens, it becomes our filter by how which we understand the pain of life. It becomes the filter that reminds us of Romans 8:28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. These are your breakers, but I'm going to remember that you're Yahweh. What perspective? The break in the clouds of his grief, is he over it? Is our psalmist finally over it? Let's keep playing the song. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? You see, our psalmist, he is sinking in sorrow. Still! Guys, I love this song because here he was, his head was above the clouds. Yahweh, I see you. And then in the next verse, he's back down here. Perspective, more pain. Clarity, more grief. Do you see the tides of grief at work here? And I think what the Lord wants to teach us as we even see the psalmist fluctuating is that you need to realize, friends, your processing and your grief, it may take longer than you thought. It may take you longer 
than you realized or than you hoped for. It's not a quick fix. That's not how God made your body. That's not how God made your emotions. And so don't be surprised when you find yourself right here, like the psalmist. He says, I know the right answers. I remember the right answers. But this is how I feel. I know verse 8, but here's how I feel in verse 9. You know what it feels like to me? Even though I can teach you all the theology, and even though I know that he's Yahweh, and I know that they're his breakers, here's what it feels like. It feels like I'm here, and I'm remembering God, but at the same time, he's forgetting me. That's what it feels like. I know God hasn't forgotten, right? He just called him Yahweh, but this is what it feels like. And so what is he doing? He's telling God about it. You can do that, friends. God is not insecure. God is not easily threatened. He gave us these words so that we can express our pain. He says here, I I feel like I'm forced into this season of mourning because of my enemies. Why is that? I'm sinking in sorrow. Here's another image, right? As if the waterfall, (laughs) you guys are sitting here going, I hate the waterfall. Here's a better image in case the waterfall didn't do it. He says, I feel like I have a deadly wound, literally a shattering wound. I feel like my bones have been so shatteredly broken that it's fatal, that I will not recover. I have no strength to stand, let alone to live. That's what it feels like. And I feel like this every time my adversaries taunt me. They're taunting him, right? Every taunt, every mockery, every scoff is like another gut punch. There are people here, they are pouring salt on the wound of his exile because they're calling into question the goodness and the reliability of God himself. You thought Facebook had trolls. You thought Facebook had trolls. Guys, read the Psalms and the Proverbs. These trolls are everywhere. Oh, where's your God now? Oh, where, oh, Yahweh, is he asleep? Oh, where's your God now? That's what they're saying to him. You, can really, you think you can trust him, huh? How's that working for you? You think he's reliable, huh? Good luck with that. And the psalmist says, every one of their jabs is just sinking me further and further into pain, further and further into sorrow. But what does he do? He looks up again. He remembers who he is talking to. And so he says, this is what it feels like, but I'm saying this to God, my rock. I'm saying this to God, my rock. Friends, when we are sinking in sorrow, God is our rock. Welcome to the human existence. There is a sea of uncertainty. There will be seasons of life where confusion and pain abound. But what we need to learn this morning is that there is a constant. There is a stable force. He recalls that there is something reliable. And so, yes, life feels like a shifting mess of pain. It feels as if he's going to be drowned under the waves any moment. But in contrast to all of this is God, a constant, a dependable and solid rock. And so the psalmist, I hope you've heard it this morning, the psalmist is up and down. He's all over the place in this psalm. He is not over it yet. And spoiler alert, next week for our final week, he still won't be over it. 
But what he's teaching us this morning, friends, is that we don't need to get over it, but on it. Capital I, the rock. For God is my rock. This is the big idea of verse 2. You would, have, you would have thought that a biblical author, surely he's beyond this. Surely he is over this. But instead, he is showing us every verse here, the fluctuating tides of grief, just like you and just like I experience. And yet, in those tides, what is he doing, friends? He continually looks up. He continually fights for greater perspective. He remembers to get on the rock. Even the way that he's writing, even in the way that he's processing, this is helping him to get on the rock because we don't need to get over it, but on it. Does anybody need a rock this morning? Anybody feeling a little unstable this morning? Anybody experiencing the tides of grief? Anybody experiencing the shifting uncertainty of your world? Anybody feel like you're going to drown? You need a rock. You need a rock, and people are going to ask you, are you over it? But here's a better question, friends. Are you on it? Are you on it? You see, we get on the rock by remembering Yahweh. We get on the rock by remembering his love is constant. His sovereignty and wisdom are perfect. I can trust him. Friends, if Jesus died for you while you were his enemy, while you were a sinner, how much more will he look out for you now that you're adopted into his family as his son and daughter? You guys know my story, right? Adopted at three years old with nothing but pain and baggage behind me. If my parents could love me with nothing to my name, right? Nothing but pain. How much more now, you know, 30 years later? that I'm their son, how much more would they not give their lives for me? Get on the rock by remembering Yahweh. Get on the rock by addressing your pain to him in his presence. Some of you have not been on, on you haven't just been here with God. You're trying to deal with this on your own. You're trying to get right. You're trying to fight your own battles. But we're going to learn next week that pain gives way to perspective in the presence of God. And so you get on the rock by processing with him near him, in his presence, to him. Talk to him. Talk to him. And finally, we get on the rock by following Jesus, the rock. By surrendering everything to him and building our lives with him, the cornerstone of God's kingdom. Friends, get on the rock by building your life on Jesus. Does anyone need a rock this morning? Come to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said here. This is where we end. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. Right? There's the waterfalls. You're like, the rain. No, it's torrential downpour. The rains fall and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Friends, I don't know what your grief is. I don't know what your pain is. I don't know why it's happening. I don't know when you'll be over it. I don't know if you'll ever be over it, to be honest. But this I do know. We don't need to get over it, but on it. But on it. And when he's your rock, when God is your rock, not just in word, not just in name, but truly when God is your rock, you will be able to sing 
the chorus of cast down. Remember the chorus from last week? Let's see what it says. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When God is your rock, you're able to sing this chorus. And here's how I'd like to respond. I'm going to invite you guys to stand. Would you just stand to your feet? And we're going to practice. Okay, we're going to read this chorus. We're going to speak to our soul. We're going to read this three times out loud together. And then maybe we'll sing it. We'll try it, okay? So let's read it together. Verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Number two, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Once more, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.